Good morning and welcome to the Bitterrookie Baptist Church weekly sermon. My name's Tom and I'm one of the ministers here at the church and whether you're joining us for the first time or for the thousandth time it is great to have you with us worshipping with us this morning and exploring with us what God's word has to say to us today. So before we begin the sermon let's bow our heads and spend some time in prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for this morning that we can we can gather together, albeit virtually once again and share in your word. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us, a God who speaks to us, a God who listens to us and a God who cares for us above anything else. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who who put the stars in the sky, the God who who breathed life into our lungs. You are Lord of all. We thank you that you are the only one who who knows what's coming, who knows when we'll be able to meet again physically as a church, as a body of your your people. And Father, you are the only one who knows exactly what is going on in our lives. You know the the joys and the, the celebrations that we've had this week. But you also know the anxieties and the pressures, the pressures that are on us this morning. And so, Father, whatever we are burdened with today, whatever we we bring along, any distractions, Father, help us to lay them in your hands now. Lord, free us from those things and help us instead to focus on learning more about you, on drawing closer to you. So, Father, be with us, we pray this morning. Fill our homes and fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your love and your peace and your joy and your strength. And bless us this morning so that when we when we finish this sermon. We will all feel more positive about the world, feel better about the world, feel more more prepared to go and face the world than perhaps we did at the start. Father, bless us and be with us, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you, like me, will have taken interest in the first presidential debate that took place this week in America. Now, these debates um, can sometimes be quite dull, but often they're very interesting. And this week's, I wouldn't say it was interesting, it was utter carnage. It was chaos. From the word go, there were, the two candidates were on stage, they were interrupting each other, they were talking over each other, they were insulting each other, they were telling each other to shut up, and they were, they were really um, behaving in a way which if a teacher saw two kids acting like that in a playground, they would be sent to their teacher's office, there's no doubt about it. I'm sure I'm not the only parent who took their primary age child and sat them down and showed them um, a highlights package and said, this is an example of how not to treat people. This is an example of how not to gain friends. Now, it's very easy to point at those two candidates who were in one of the most highly pressured theatres of drama that you can possibly imagine. These two two men had a television audience of 68 million people across the world and for an hour and a half with no break, 
they have to debate certain issues. And if they make a single flaw in, in what they're saying, if they get a fact wrong or if they misquote something, they will be taken to pieces. And sure enough, they were. At times it was painful viewing. At times it was enthralling viewing. But at no point did anybody watch that debate and think, that's an example of how we should live. That's a good example of how we could, could conduct, should conduct ourselves. Indeed, the world's media responded with, with absolute, absolute horror at the way that this political debate descended into little more than, than a barroom brawl. What was good was that there's been no press report saying that it was a worthwhile debate. There's been no one praising the behaviour of the two candidates. You see, as much as we can point and say, well, that's they're trying to set an example to the rest of the world, the rest of the world recognises a bad example. But that, that debate, it's very easy to point to the two candidates and, and, uh, and pick on them. And that's not fair, because any one of us would have struggled in that sort of environment. But what was interesting is that it, it reminded me of a fundamental life lesson. It reminded me that if you want people to vote for you as a head of state, you have to not only tell them you can do the job, but you have to prove to them that you're capable of conducting yourself in a proper manner in highly pressured situations. It reminded me that if you want to convince somebody that the message you bring, be it political, economical, religious, if you want to convince them that your message is worth following, then you don't just have to tell them, but you have to demonstrate to them the benefit of what you're saying. You have to show that, that you believe what you're telling them to believe. You have to show that you are living out the message that you're trying to communicate. Watching the presidential debate, I can honestly say that I wouldn't particularly want to vote for either candidate based on what I saw on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. And it made me question myself. It made me think, well, OK, I'm a Christian minister. I preach most weeks and I sometimes lead worship. I lead prayer. I encourage people to, to read their Bibles. But that's all words. Now, of course, that's absolutely right. They're all important parts of communicating the gospel. But what about all those people that look at the way I live my life? What about all those people that scrutinise and say, OK, well, you're telling me to live like that. You're saying that this is a good way to live life. Do you actually live it out yourself? Do you actually practice what you preach? And I thought it'd be really useful today to take a look at what scripture says about our actions and then take a look at Jesus and see some of the ways in which Jesus responded to, to provocation, responded to these high pressured situations where he was directly challenged in front of a crowd of people and see how he conducted himself. Identify the differences between him and modern day world leaders. And then identify what we can do 
to make ourselves more Christ-like. We're going to begin in Romans chapter 12, where Paul gives us this very familiar and very direct instruction. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, when we go through a conversion experience, when we come to Christian faith, when we take that decision to to ask God to to forgive us for our sin, to take off the the, the burden of sin, to um, and we dedicate our lives to Him, when we are granted salvation through the blood of Jesus, when we make that decision to follow Him, we're faced with a choice. We can either carry on as we are, we can conform to the ways of the world. We can conduct ourselves in a, the way that the world expects. But Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. As a sign of, of gratitude for what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Respond. By allowing yourself, by choosing to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that renewing can take place um, through many different ways. It can take place through through prayer and meditation, through spending time, just willing God to to give you a sort of a spiritual download so that you you suddenly realise the things in your life that perhaps are not pleasing to God that you need to address and change. Or sometimes that transformation can take place through Observing Christian friends and family, seeing the way that they lived their lives and, and seeing something attractive in that. I know when I became a Christian, I, a massive, massive part of, of that transformation was by looking, um, looking at the people in a church that I was attending and thinking, there's just something, there's just something wholesome about them. There's something good about them. There's something about them that, that is attractive, that, that I'd like in my life. And all these people come from different walks of life, different backgrounds. They've got different jobs. The one thing that unites them is their Christian faith. The one thing that they all do is try to follow Jesus as best they can. In our church today as well, I look at the people that come and worship week after week under normal circumstances. Every conversation I have with people, I see I see positive aspects of the Christian character and I find it inspiring. I truly do, because we can see these these glimpses of the Holy Spirit working in people's lives, of people making a conscious effort to live out. The life of Jesus, the qualities that Jesus instilled in us. This transformation can also take place by studying God's word, by studying scripture. You see, it's so important. It's so important that if we claim to be something, we've got to show the world that we are that thing. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, then people have got to look at us and see evidence of Jesus in our lives. The two presidential candidates earlier this week, they, they claim to be capable of, of leading a country, 
of carrying out one of the most highly pressured, most difficult jobs in the world. And yet, people's faith in them has been shaken because they've demonstrated that in a pressure cooker environment of a political debate, a televised debate, they lost control. They lashed out. They retaliated when they were insulted. They didn't show respect and, and uh, mutual admiration for each other. There was none of that. And so people suddenly start to question their suitability to become president of America. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 6, we read, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. In other words, whoever claims to, to believe in Jesus, you've got to show evidence of it in your own life. Paul writes in, in Ephesians that we should be imitators of God and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We should be imitators of God. Now, that's a very difficult thing to do because we don't always... We don't always recognise in ourselves what we can do to change. Being an imitator of God, we're being asked to imitate something that that we haven't seen. And that's difficult. But instead, we can always we can always turn to scripture. And there is rich advice. There is so much instruction in scripture, and we're going to share some of that now. So in the book of James. James says everyone should be quick to listen. That's a challenge in itself. A few years ago, as a staff team, we um, we had an away day and um, uh, it was it was a brilliant sort of team building day. And the, the person who was hosting the day, who was absolutely superb, began by saying we're going to have no tailgating today. And that's always stuck in my mind. I thought, what's tailgating? And she said, when someone else is talking... You're going to listen. You're not going to be sitting there thinking of your response, because as soon as you do that, what you're doing is you're not listening to what they're saying. You're thinking of what you want to say. And then as soon as they draw for breath, you jump in and they might not finish making their point. And it shows them that you don't respect them. It shows that you're not listening. It's not it's not how a team should be treating each other. Instead, when someone speaks, we listen. And we formulate our response and then we give it. But we give people space to say what they need to say. We listen properly and then we respond to what they've said rather than just voicing what we want to say. And that is something which I suddenly thought, wow, that's a challenge. And I recognised that actually I was a, I was a, a culprit of tailgating. And I think most people are. If you look out for it in conversation, you suddenly realise that, that loads of people do that. But it certainly helped our team communication for a few weeks, at least, until we all fell back into old habits. But it's something that really stuck in my mind. But James says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. 
in that presidential debate, we saw two people who were quick to become angry. They both knew each other's buttons to press, the buttons that would immediately provoke a response. And sometimes it got very personal. Sometimes it was it was just unpleasant to watch. You, you winced because you thought that's below the belt. That is not right. And you saw the anger growing on both sides. And as soon as someone gives in to anger, they lose self-control. And as James says, it does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So as soon as we allow ourselves to become angry about something, we are not doing what God desires us to do. We're losing that self-control. We're allowing, we're allowing sin, we're allowing Satan to attack us, to, to, to start to start riding us in in a way that God does not want us to go. James goes on. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Wish I could forget what I look like after I've looked in the mirror. But James says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. So James is saying, don't just look at the word and then completely fail to apply it to your life. Go and live it. Go and do what it says. Be an imitator of God. Don't conform to the world. Allow yourself to be transformed. You see, this is a consistent message. And Jesus set us an example. Jesus showed us how we should react. And the examples that we're going to look at now from the life of Jesus are examples that, that we can apply to our lives. On Monday morning, when we're delayed on our way to work, if we're not working at home or or if 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 the kids are kicking off when we're trying to have a conference call with colleagues and we can feel that anger growing. We need to control that. We need to do the godly thing. We need to make sure that when we're in that on that Zoom call at work, when one person's dominating and they're the one hosting it so they can't be muted and you just want them to shut up and let other people talk. We need to find a way of suppressing that, expressing ourselves in a way which is respectful and loving. If we're running late for a meeting and there's someone poodling along in front of us, we need to remember, don't get angry. Don't get angry. Smile at them. Encourage them. Accept that I should have left the house earlier. I'm running a bit late. It's not their fault. Or maybe when there's a perceived injustice and you're really cross about something and you type out an angry post to go on Facebook, just get in the habit of pausing before you upload it. Because when we put something on social media, suddenly countless people can see it and if it's an angry outburst then what we're doing is we're saying you remember that I've told you before my friends and family about my Christian faith well here I am failing to live it out so when you've typed it out maybe just give it half an hour maybe talk to someone else about it maybe sleep on it 
and then maybe delete it rather than showing the world how angry you've become. Anger is a very unattractive character trait and we all we all suffer it from time to time. I know I do. But the challenge that scripture gives us is that we need to control ourselves, to suppress it, to not let anger take over. But instead, instead, let God take over in those times. In Mark chapter two, we read about the call of Levi. And we we see Jesus teaching people and we see the tax collector sitting in his booth, minding his own business, not interacting at all. And we see Jesus calling him, saying, follow me. And the tax collector does. And later on that night, Jesus goes to his house, has a meal. Other tax collectors are there as well. Other other social outcasts are, are, are there eating in the same house as Jesus. And in verse 16, we see um, Mark writes, when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with those sinners and tax collectors? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus doesn't get angry. He doesn't say, what right is it to you? What do you care who I eat with? Where, who are you eating with tonight? Come on, what, what mistake do you make? Instead, Jesus quietly and calmly explains why he's doing what he's doing. And the Pharisees haven't got an answer. Jesus maintains his self-control. At another time, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we see Jesus walking with his disciples into a village. We're told as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. So they went to find lodgings, went to find somewhere for him to eat. They went to prepare a place for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? In other words, they got angry. You what? They, they're not going to welcome Jesus. Do they know who he is? Right. Right, we're not having that. Fire from heaven. Let's do it. Let's wipe this place out. Come on, let's teach them a lesson. Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went to another village. We're not told what he said. We're not told how he rebuked them. But what we can see is that he doesn't take offence. He doesn't choose to be offended. As far as he's concerned... Well, that village doesn't want my my presence. I'll go somewhere where I am wanted. I'll take my message somewhere where it is going to be welcomed. But James and John, they they gave into anger, this indignation. How dare they? That Samaritan village. Right. They, they need to pay the price for being for offending me. But it's interesting, isn't it? When we choose to be offended, we're the ones that get angry. We're the ones that suffer the negative emotion. We're the ones that lose sleep that stay up at night stewing on it, that get more and more wound up. That Samaritan village, 
They just said they wouldn't welcome Jesus. It's their loss. Jesus teaches us not to get angry, not to want vengeance, not to want to get level with someone because they've 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 slighted us in some way. Now, of course. There was the famous time when Jesus appears to lose self-control. But he doesn't lose self-control. When Jesus cleared the temple of moneylenders, we need to be very careful in identifying what his motivation was. We read about this in Mark chapter 11. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So that's the one time when when we see Jesus, rather than just calmly um, dealing with the situation through through words and wisdom, he sees that in a temple court there is there, there is money changing hands. There is there is trading going on. This is going to be a house of prayer. And he's furious. And so he 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 goes and tips up the tables. There would have been money going everywhere, feathers flying as doves were knocked out of cages. There would have been some pretty upset people. And it's later on, according to Mark, when Jesus is teaching in the temple that he makes the point. He points to. He points to the fact. That the temple is not a marketplace. You see, Jesus's anger in that situation is a it's a it's a godly anger. It's a righteous anger. It's an anger not not motivated because someone has done something against him or offended him. It's because someone's done something against God. It's because the house of God is being treated with disrespect. And Jesus won't stand for that. So he takes immediate practical action by turning over the benches and and throwing people out of the temple. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. You see, the one thing Jesus will not stand is any pure, any impurity being brought, brought into the house of God, into the presence of God. That's why Jesus died on the cross, because Jesus wants every single one of us, you and you and me and all the people we know to be reconciled with God, the father on the day of reckoning. Jesus wants each and every one of us to to enter into the heavenly realm. But he knows as well that heaven is perfect. Heaven is pure. And so if any one of us goes in with our with our sin and with our with our faults. Then suddenly what was pure is made impure. And that cannot be allowed to happen. That cannot be allowed to happen. And So Jesus died on the cross. This perfect sacrifice to God. To pay the price for sin, full stop. Yours, mine, those that have been committed in the past and those that will be committed in the future. Jesus's sacrifice was powerful enough to pay the price for that. When he comes into our lives, when we 
when we pray the prayer at the beginning of our faith journey and say, Jesus, I want you in my life. Do you know what he does? He comes into our hearts and he tips over the benches of the den of robbers. And he turns our heart into a house of prayer. And it's up to us to make sure that externally the way we conduct ourselves reflects that internal change that Jesus has caused inside us. When I used to work up in the city, I was um, away on business once and I was sitting in an airport and I was with a, um, someone from another firm that I used to um, I used to deal with quite often. And they were a really nice person. You just got on really well with them. And I was really surprised when um, we went and got some lunch. We had this meal and at the end of it, he said, oh, I'll, I'll get this. I said, oh, thank you very much. Fair enough. Yep, that's, that's very good of you. Um, and uh, we'd ordered a couple of rounds of drinks during the meal. And as we were getting on the plane, he was. I'd noticed that he'd been very smirky he'd been smirking away ever since we left the restaurant and I said are you all right what, what are you what are you what's going on and he said ah oh, they didn't charge us for that last round of drinks and I said oh no when did you notice that before I paid now we've all fallen into temptation. We've all given into temptation. We've all chosen to give into temptation at some point in our lives. So I'm not trying to give him a hard time, but it changed my perception of him because before he paid for the bill, he'd spotted that he hadn't been charged for that last round of drinks. He had the opportunity to say, oh, excuse me, this isn't quite right. You need to add on a, some more drinks. But he didn't take that opportunity. In my future business dealings with him, everything, everything that he said, whereas up to that point, I trusted him. I would take his word for it. If he said, if he said, this is what we agreed, I, yep, OK, that's fine. I trust you. From that point onwards, Every dealing I had with him, I checked and double checked as I would with someone I didn't know, because I suddenly thought, oh, there's an element to your character that actually I didn't think was there. And if I if I make a mistake, if I trust you to point out something and you you notice my mistake, I'm not sure you're going to I'm not sure you're going to repay that trust. It just changed the dynamic of the friendship. I was still friends with him, but but I was just aware of a, an element of his character that was just a bit unsavoury. But of course, for so, so many people, if you're in a restaurant and they forget to charge you for a round of drinks, then happy days. Bonus. Brilliant. Free drinks. Everyone loves a free drink, right? Yeah, but let's, um, let's just remind ourselves what Paul said. You see, accepting the free drinks is conforming to the ways of the world. Paul said, don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's when people see us saying to 
the waiter or waitress, or excuse me, you've forgotten to put those last drinks on there. Can you add them onto the bill, please, before I pay it? It's when people see us being angered by something, but swallowing that anger, dealing with it and not letting it show. It's when people see us going through a really hard time and rather than, rather than lashing out at those around us and looking to blame someone, instead conducting ourselves with, with, with grace and respect and love and keeping control on ourselves. That's when they see, that's when they see Jesus in us. It's when they see us being insulted by somebody and not lashing out and retaliating. It's when they see someone shouting in our face and, and, then, and then see our reaction as calm and loving and graceful and, and reconciliatory. It's when they see us being moulded by our faith rather than trying to mould our faith around us. That's when they see Jesus in us. And so when I was watching that debate earlier this week, I was I was disappointed by what I saw because it just reinforced what I know is that those two candidates are just as flawed as you or I. They're no better, but they're no worse either. And to look to the leaders in the world around us to build people up on pedestals, they're only going to fall down. We can look at so many, so many politicians who have who have abused their their position. We saw the expenses scandal not long ago where it was revealed that so many MPs had been taking advantage and using taxpayers money incorrectly. Or in the in the last banking crisis with a subprime mortgage fiasco, when we saw how financial markets hadn't um, conducted themselves in in a in a morally right way. And when we look at sports stars and people like Lance Armstrong, who, who one moment are hailed as the greatest cyclist ever, and then the next moment it's revealed that most of his success was built on blood doping. And there are so many other examples we could use. Time and time again, we look at, we look at people's success and we assume they're better people than we are. We assume that, that because they've, they've got success in one field, it means that across the board, they're good people. And then they get knocked down because we are all sinners. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus died on the cross for each and every one of us. If we want to look for a role model in the world, if we want to look for a way of conducting ourselves, then the only, the only certain leader that we can look to, the only steadfast example that we should follow is that of Jesus Christ. Through his teachings, through his conduct and through his Holy Spirit, he shapes us, he moulds us, if we allow him to, he transforms us to be the righteous, graceful, loving individual that God wants us to be. So as we go out into the world this week, whatever angers us, whatever annoys us, when we feel that anger rising, let's find a way of just taking a breath and letting it die down. Let's not allow Satan to get in to get in us to attack us 
to take advantage of us and to win over. Instead, let's make sure that we always make sure that we we conduct ourselves in a way that God wants us to. Ephesians 6 verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving God, not man. In other words, in everything that we do, imagine that God is right there with us. Imagine that God is standing right next to the person that's shouting in your face. Imagine that God is is sitting in the passenger seat next to you when someone's just pulled out in front of you on a roundabout. Imagine that, that God is sitting in the Zoom call laughing at you as you're getting more and more frustrated with, with the, 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 what's being said. If we, if we imagine God with us all the time, then actually we're seeing the spiritual reality because God is with us all the time. God does see our reaction to everything. God does know when we're angry, but God also, also wills us to follow the example of Jesus not to conform to the ways of the world, whatever they may be, but instead to conform to Jesus, to be transformed. And when we do that, we find that we come much closer to God. And that's a place that we all want to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, that you sent your son into this world to teach us. And we thank you, Lord, that the lessons that he taught were not simply relevant for his own generation a couple of thousand years ago, but instead they're relevant to every generation. Father, we we thank you for our leaders today. We thank you for leaders of, of commerce, leaders of politics, leaders of people groups, leaders of religion even leaders of sport. Father, we thank you for people who, who conduct themselves in, in admirable ways. But Father, we also acknowledge that every single one of us is fallen. And so, Father, we thank you that you sent your son into the world to give the world the ultimate role model the ultimate leader, the ultimate example of how to live life, how to conduct oneself, especially in the face of provocation and confrontation. Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus. And we pray that you will help us to learn more and more of his qualities, to become more and more like him in the way that we conduct ourselves. And we pray that through that, People will see the way that we behave and they will see Jesus in us. They will see the benefit of the Christian faith being lived out in our lives. Father, we are all a work in progress. But we pray that you will help us to make sure that we are always making that progress. So be with us, Lord, we pray, whatever challenges, whatever difficulties might face us this week. Father, help us to face them in a Christ-like manner. May we, may we bless people. May we show grace and love to all those that we meet. And Father God, we pray that you will help us to lead more and more people to know you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Have a wonderful week and we look forward to you joining us again next Sunday.